0: you for standing by this is the conference operator welcome to the igm financial second quarter 2020 earnings results conference call as a reminder all participants are in listen only mode and the conference is being recorded after the presentation there will be an opportunity to ask questions to join the question queue you may press star then one on your telephone keypad should you need assistance during the conference call you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero I would now like to turn the conference over to Keith Potter, Treasurer and Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, and uh, good afternoon, and welcome to IGM Financial's 2020 uh, second quarter earnings call.
2: Joining me on the call today are Jeff Carney, President and CEO of IG Wealth Management and President and CEO of IGM Financial. We have Barry McInerney, President and CEO of McKenzie Investments, and Luke Gould, Executive Vice President and CFO of IGM Financial. Before we get started, I'd like to draw your attention to our cautions concerning forward-looking statements on slide three of the presentation. On slide four, summarizes non ifrs financial measures used in the material. And on slide five, we provide a list of documents that are available to the public on our website related to the second quarter results for IGM Financial. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jeff Carney.
1: Thank you, Keith. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We're still living in interesting times, and I hope all of you are staying well. At IGM Financial, we continue to keep our employees, advisors, clients, and communities at the center as we navigate these unprecedented times where COVID-19 has impacted so many. We've continued to implement the initiatives we spoke about on our last call to support and connect with these groups and are responding as the environment evolves. In the financial markets over the last four months, we've witnessed a recovery that was almost as swift and extreme as the sell-off that took place in February and March. Meanwhile, the COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact the lives of Canadians every day, and we continue to focus on ways we can help. Turning to slide seven on on Q2 2020 highlights for IGM, total AUM and AUA were both up approximately 12% during the quarter reflecting strong net sales and client investment returns. Investment fund net sales of $864 million are up significantly from net redemptions of $364 million last year, and overall total net sales were $3.4 billion, including strong flows in the institutional business at McKenzie. IGM's Q2 2020 earnings per share were $0. 77 cents, up 13% relative to the first quarter, Driven by strong expense management and higher earnings from associates, Luke will speak to the non-commission expense guidance in his remarks. Late in the second quarter, we announced that IGM will sell its equity interest in Personal Capital to Empower Retirement for $239.6 million, with upside through an earnout of up to $33.4 million. Empower is a subsidiary of our sister company Great West Life Co. And is the second-largest retirement service provider in the United States. We've been very pleased with the growth of the company and our contributions to its strategic development through our engagement over the last four years. Our economic gain, based on the cost of our investment, will be approximately 50.5 million, up to an additional 33.4 million from an earnout. These amounts are subject to currency fluctuations. Personal capital remaining with the power group of companies is a great result, and power is the right home given the significant synergy potential. Trans- the transaction is expected to close in the second half of 2020. We're also excited about the most recent announcement to acquire GLC Asset Management, which will add to McKinsey's scale and expand our distribution reach. Barry will speak to this in his comment. Slide 8 highlights Performance of our major equity and fixed income indices. Q2 2020 saw strong equity markets increases in major indices with lower volatility. Fixed income also posted strong positive returns. IGM clients benefited from this with an average client investment return of 9.7% during the second quarter. The month of July added further positive return of 3.2% with clients on average fully recovering the Q1 2020 decline as of July 31st. Turning to slide 9, the industry experienced long-term mutual fund net sales of $6.8 billion during Q2 2020, an improvement from $1 billion in net redemptions last year. The industry advice channel net sales were $2.4 billion during the quarter. Turning to slide 10 on our results for the second quarter, average AUM of 159.2 billion decreased 1.6% year over year. Investment fund net sales of 864 million during Q2 2020 were a strong improvement over net redemptions of 364 million last year. As I mentioned, IGM's Q2 2020 reported earnings per share of 77 cents were up strongly compared to the first quarter. Slide 11 contains the breakdown of our IGM's quarterly results across our segments. We'll discuss the IG Wealth Management and McKinsey segments in detail on the coming slides. Turning to IG Wealth Management's Q2 2020 highlights on slide 13, AUA at the end of June was $93.6 billion, up 9 percent during the quarter. As at July 31st, AUA is now 96.9 billion, up 3.5% during the month. IG's Q2 net client flows were negative 62 million. As a reminder, Q2 is a seasonally weak in the terms of net flows. In the quarter, Canadians were less likely to change financial service providers. The consequence is that gross sales and redemptions are both down noticeably, but our net flows are up over 400 million relative to last year. We continue to build our financial planning capabilities in the quarter with the completion of our advisor portal rollout. We've also partnered with Conquest Planning to deliver enhanced financial planning software capabilities which are expected to be rolled out starting later this year. Finally, during uh, May, we launched a new program to support Canadian small and medium-sized businesses and their communities as they navigate the COVID-19 crisis. This campaign includes no obligation consultations to business owners and matching dollar programs available to our consultants for support to provided in communities across Canada. Slide 14 highlights clients flows and AOA. These metrics incorporate our internal funds and third party investments such as high interest savings accounts, cash, third party funds, and stocks and bonds. Gross client inflows to IG wealth management were 1.9 billion in the quarter. The annualized AUA redemption rate for the second quarter of 2020 was 8.7%, down noticeably from 11.5% in 2019, reflecting strong client and asset retention at IG Wealth Management. As I mentioned earlier, net flows improved by over 400000000 million year-over-year, year, driven by a lower redemption activity. Slide 15 shows IG Wealth Management's last 12-month trailing AUA redemption rate at 10.2%, which improved through the second quarter. Slide 16 includes some additional perspectives on Q2 2020 gross sales. Managed solutions continued to represent 80% of our long-term gross sales over the last 12 months. Sales into our high-net-worth solutions were 0.9 billion. The change relative to 2019 was in line with the total gross sales. With fewer Canadians changing financial uh, institutions during the lockdown, we've been very pleased as our teams continue to deliver on our promise to existing clients and demonstrate an ability to acquire new high net worth clients in this environment. Turning to slide 17, as we discussed on prior calls, we've been attracting a higher portion of experienced advisors and have included this group within the consultant practices category, which increased to 1,843 this quarter. As I mentioned, these consultant practices continue to have success during the pandemic, with Q2 productivity up relative to last year. I'm pleased to see this result considering the change in our consultants operating environment and the impacts of the pandemic and it's having on our clients and our prospects. Turning to slide 18, Starting in Q4, 2020, IG will be introducing a new financial planning collaboration tool created by Conquest Planning that will further enhance our capabilities. We're taking something that is more time-consuming today and making it digital, streamlined, and more engaging. The software allows clients and advisors to make real-time updates to plans, and the easy interface will make it simple for our clients and consultants to collaborate remotely. Advisor portal launched in Q4 2019, and the rollout is now complete. As a reminder, the advisor portal is the new customer relationship management platform powered by Salesforce that enables our consultants to better manage their clients' relationships and boost prospecting, improve efficiency through digitized workflows, and access data-driven reporting to help better run their practices. Turning to slide 19, during the quarter, IG Wealth Management launched Answering the Call, a new program to support Canadian small and medium-sized business owners and their communities as they navigate the financial challenges presented by the COVID-19 crisis. As part of this initiative, we're bringing our greatest strength as our financial planning experts to serve business owners during this ongoing crisis with free one-on-one consultations and webcasts. The Answering the Call initiative was inspired by the fantastic work IG consultants have been doing in their own communities since the crisis began. I will now turn it over to Barry to cover the McKinsey update. Thank you very much, Jeff, and good afternoon, everyone. If I could turn your attention to slide 21. Earlier this week, we announced an agreement whereby McKenzie will acquire GLC Asset Management Group from Canada Life for $175 million in cash consideration. This transaction further solidifies McKenzie's position as one of Canada's preeminent investment managers with $172 billion in AUM, which includes the existing $67 billion in assets of advice to IG Wealth and an additional $36 billion of GLC assets. McKenzie will become the core investment advisor to canada individual and group product offerings and will be a top three provider of investment advisory services in the fast-growing group channel made up of defined contribution plans and other group retirement offerings. We are further adding to our investment capabilities, including a brand-new Kane equity boutique. We expect the GLC acquisition to add annualized run rate earnings before tax of approximately $20 million. As part of the arrangement, McKenzie will sell the fund contracts relating to the private label Quadris group of funds to a candlelight subsidiary for $30 million in cash consideration. The Quadris funds currently have $7 billion in assets, of which Mackenzie advises to approximately $2.5 billion today. Mackenzie will continue to provide administrative services to the fund family and will be positioned as core advisor to the platform. Ken Life will assume fund oversight responsibilities. The purchase price was established having regard to lost oversight fee revenue to Mackenzie of approximately 10 basis points per year on the in block of Quadris AUM. The transaction is expected to close by the end of 2020 and will be accretive to 2021 earnings. I'll begin my comments on Mackenzie's Q2 2020 results on page 22. The Q2 financial market increases that Jeff spoke to earlier combined with strong net sales drove McKenzie's total AUM up 16% to $73.2 billion. On a year-to-date basis, total AUM is up 4.3%. We saw McKinsey's AUM increase of further 3.6% during the month of July, reflecting positive investment returns and strong net sales. We continue to gain market share with strength in retail and notable traction in the strategic alliance and institutional channels. The second quarter of 2020 saw record high net sales of 3.6 billion at McKinsey. Investment fund net sales were 1.1 billion excluding investments made by IG and IPC mutual funds into Mackenzie ETFs. Our retail investment fund net sales were positive $439 million in the quarter as we marked the 15th and 17th consecutive quarter of positive retail net flows for mutual funds and ETFs, respectively. Mackenzie's investment performance relative to peers remained strong in the second quarter with 55% of mutual fund AUM in four- or five-star funds as rated by Morningstar. Slide 23 highlights Mackenzie's operating results. Total mutual fund gross sales were relatively unchanged year over year at $2.5 billion. However, we did see a slowdown in retail gross sales consistent with the industry trends Jeff spoke to earlier. Record high total net sales of $3.6 billion included positive contributions from our retail, strategic alliances, and institutional channels. McKinsey's long-term investment fund's net sales rate was 4.2% during the 12 months ending June 30th, 2020. And investment fund net flows of $226 million in July was also very solid as the momentum continues. Mackenzie's institutional net sales of $2.5 billion reflected a number of wins over an extended period that all happened to onboard in Q2 2020. These wins included global equity, U.S. equity, fixed income, and currency overlay strategies. And as I mentioned on our May call, approximately half of the $2.5 billion related to the currency overlay strategy where investment advisory fees are typically lower. Our institutional pipeline continues to be strong with additional wins expected to fund during the second half of the year. Our retail results are highlighted on slide 24. As mentioned, both mutual funds and ETFs attracted positive retail net flows during the second quarter. Retail flows remain strong across most asset classes and the $47 million increase relative to last year was largely driven by higher flows into income-oriented mutual funds and ETFs. During the slide 25, positive net creations drove Mackenzie's ETF AUM up 26.4% during the quarter to $6.6 billion, and we surpassed $7 billion during July. Net creations included $221 million in retail distribution, which is the strongest result over the past year, and was driven by sales into active fixed-income ETFs. Institutional channel also contributed 460 million to McKinsey's ETF flows during the quarter, which includes approximately 390 million generated from the two SRI products launched in partnership with Wealthsimple during the month of June. On slide 26, we cover a few key statistics demonstrating McKinsey's strong investment performance. Near-to-date 2020, McKinsey had 80% of its mutual fund assets in the first or second quartile for all series types and 89% for Series F. Turning to the medium and long-term metrics presented on the slide, at the end of June, 78% of McKinsey's mutual fund assets were above median for all series over the past 12 months, 57% of assets from the first or second quartile over the three-year period, and 67% over the five and 10-year periods. Looking at Morningstar ratings, McKinsey has 55% of fund assets in four or five-star rated funds, and out of our 20 largest funds, 17, are rated four or five stars for Series F, and seven of those are rated five star. Turning to slide 27, you can see the strong Morningstar ratings across a number of our investment teams, including the Growth, Blue Water, Resources, Global Equity and Income, and Fixed Income Boutiques. These teams and others delivered strong short term performance measured by six month and one year asset weighted percentiles. The Ivy Team, Global Quantitative Equity Team, and the multi-asset strategies team all had strong year-to-date performance. Switching gears a bit, slide 28 highlights some of the favorable trends we're seeing in the Chinese asset management industry where China AMC operates. At IGM and Mackenzie, we've been following the asset management industry in China for a very long time. As many of you will recall, we acquired 13.9% equity interest in China AMC in 2017 alongside PowerCorp. Collectively, the power group of companies owns 27.8% and CITIC Securities owns 62% of China AMC. This decision to take a strong minority interest in a leading Chinese asset manager and to find a strong local partner like CITIC Securities followed careful consideration of the best way to participate in the secular trends set to drive this industry's rapid growth. Three years later, we believe the Chinese mutual fund industry has reached a notable inflection point. While money market funds have experienced growth for some time now, industry watchers have been waiting for signs of meaningful growth in the long-term fund categories as the Chinese capital markets continue to strengthen. Industry AUM now stands at 9.3 trillion MMB when money market funds are excluded, up a staggering 55% during the last 12 months and doubling in under four years. And for some perspective on how China AMC fits into the industry landscape, A recent report from intelligence provider Zedben Advisors ranked China AMC in the top two in terms of market share and the company has been maintaining their leading market position as the industry grows. Turning to slide 29, China AMC's AUM and earnings growth is consistent with these positive industry trends, with June 30th AUM up 36% year-over-year and Q2 2020 net earnings increasing 29% relative to last year. We really look forward to providing you with updates on China AMC over the coming years as our thesis on this important strategic investment continues to play out. I'll now turn it over to Luke.
2: Thanks, Barry. Good afternoon, everybody. I'll turn to page 31, and I think Barry and Jeff did a good job of highlighting the components of the 12% growth that we had in AUM in the second quarter. On this slide, I'd highlight two things on the left. First, you can see that due to the timing of the significant recovery, in financial markets that our average assets in the period was actually down 4% from Q1 and 2% from Q2.19. We've highlighted the further improvement in our asset levels uh, so far during Q3, increasing by 3.5% in July to $170.7 billion. And I just remind everybody, should we remain at these levels, our average balance in Q3 2020 will be a record high and will be an increase of 7% from the average balance in Q2 2020. On page 32. I'd highlight that while our average assets were down relative to Q1, earnings were up 13%. You can see here with the $258.9 million in, uh, in adjusted earnings before interest and taxes, that a large part of the growth over Q1 was uh, expense management, with our non-competitive expenses uh, being reduced about $16 million relative to Q1. I'd also highlight the second stack from the top at $58.6 million in is net investment income and share of associates earnings. And I just highlight and remind that this uh, this line reflects our proportionate share of Great West Life Co. earnings, our proportionate share of China AMC earnings, which Barry just spoke to, and our proportionate share of Personal Capital, all of which are up. On the right, the only comment I'd make on the net fee revenue margin is that you can see it's 116 basis points down from 119 basis points in Q1, and a large part of this is the award of 2.5 billion in institutional mandates at the beginning of April that Barry referenced earlier, and I'll review this in more detail in the McKinsey section. Turning to page 33, a few comments on our consolidated income statement, where you can see our earnings are up 13% from Q1 in spite of lower average asset levels. On point 2, which we have highlighted on the right, you can see the strong contribution to our earnings from our proportionate share and associates, which you can see here was 43.3 million in the quarter, and I'd remind that that's an after-tax number, and is up 23 million from Q1. You can see on this table, most of that was Great West LifeCo, and they announced their earnings yesterday. I'd also echo earlier comments by Barry on the growth of China AMC. And uh, you'll see in our disclosures, average assets, revenues, and earnings are all up 30% from last year uh, for, for China Asset Management in the quarter. I'd also note, looking at personal capital, this will be our last quarter recording our share of personal capital earnings, as we have reclassified this as held for sale effective June 30th. But lastly, I'd highlight in point three that our non-traditional expenses are down $16 million from Q1. You'll all remember last quarter that we highlighted $50 million expense reductions for the full year 2020 in relation to our, our original guidance for the year. This would see our expenses decline by 2. 2% in 2020 relative to 2019. I note today we're sticking to this guidance with the exception of a few volume-related items that have been impacted by the significant recovery in financial markets as well as the strong sale activity at McKinsey. This includes things like sub-advisory fees, which are up, as well as sales commissions to our McKenzie wholesaling teams as a result of the sales growth experienced in the second quarter. Our full-year guidance remains relatively unchanged and will now be $1.03 billion versus the $1.02 billion signaled last quarter. Turning page 34, I don't have many comments here. You can see at the bottom of the left chart that high net worth continues to reflect an increasing share of our AUM and the weighted average fee rate is down in line with expectations as this key segment continues to grow for us. I'd also make a very quick comment on the asset-based compensation rate of 56.9, and I'd note that while this will increase very marginally over time as uh, as legacy DSC units mature, there was a bit of noise in the second quarter of 2020 as a result of of timing-related items uh, concerning uh, Q1 uh, 2020 net sales activity. So it was a bit higher increase than we would have expected. I just wanted to call call that out for you. On page 35 the only comments i'd make on ig wealth uh, profitability is to emphasize in point two that there was good expense management at ig during the period i'd also remark on the fourth row net investment income another which you can see was nine million in the quarter and which you know reflects our mortgage business and i just highlight that there were some very temporary movements during april in some key interest rates uh, specifically asset-backed back commercial paper yields as well as the spread between prime rates and cmb yields and that reduced the income from this line by about five million dollars below its run rate Uh, again those interest rate movements were isolated to a few short weeks uh, but there was about five million dollars of reduced earnings in this line uh, from where it's actually running on page 36 i'd highlight mckenzie's net revenue rate of 74.1 basis points and uh, as mentioned earlier we've that we footnoted that most of the decline in the rate in the quarter relative to Q1 was a result of the funding of the $2.5 billion in institutional business which occurred during early April. Excluding this, the rate was around 77 basis points and was down from Q1 as a result of a higher weighting of fixed income products with the uh, equity market declines um, as as well as a higher weighting in ETFs. And then on page 37, nothing to comment on on McKinsey's profitability, which was really clean. I would just point out in the net investment in income and other line, that we did have $2.9 million in return on seed capital as a result of the strong financial markets during the period. to to page 38, uh, lastly, I wanted to preview with you right now that as part of the announcement of the GLC acquisition uh, earlier in the week, we're now able to launch our enhanced segment disclosures for IGM. Procedurally, we're going to be issuing a press release and eight quarters of retroactive restatement of IGM's results towards the end of September. We're also going to be hosting a webcast to walk you through the specific changes. In the top left, you can see on this slide, we've made a point that we've developed a sub-advisory fee transfer pricing framework that's the foundation of our relationship with Candle Life as part of the GLC acquisition. And this framework is also the foundation of the relationship between IG Wealth and McKinsey. This transfer pricing framework is anchored off of posted fee rates by mandate for investment-only services within the e database the rates that we have arrived at also take into account the scale and the nature of the relationships that McKenzie enjoys with each of uh, IG and Canada Life, And, and these rates are, are reflected, uh, are intended to reflect market. So if anybody out there has a $70 billion or $50 billion block of business, uh, we'd be happy to talk. You can see how McKenzie's business is evolving in the chart on the left. And going forward, IG, importantly, is going to be presented as a client to McKinsey, paying market rates for sub-advisory services versus our prior cost share arrangement, which has served us um, over the last uh, three years. Um, As a consequence, I would highlight now around $50 million per year in pre-tax earnings will be reallocated from the IG segment to McKinsey as IG now pays market rates for these services as opposed to a cost share. On the right, you can see our new segments, which really showcase the distinct features and drivers of our wealth management business versus our asset management business. Importantly, a majority of IG's revenues are now advisory fees, which are earned on all of IG's AUA, as opposed to AUM. You can see we've highlighted here the primary drivers as well as primary measures for each of the segments, and we've also highlighted some secondary disclosures we'll have, like AUM in the case of our wealth managers, which still is important and you can expect to continue to get insight into those measures. Um, we also think this will help uh, help the market, obviously, understand the, uh, the value of the different segments and, uh, and the drivers of their success. So with that, I'll turn it back over to Anastasia to take uh, questions, and uh, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Gary Ho with Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
3: Thanks, Uh, good good afternoon. Uh, Maybe first questions for for Jeff. Um, you monetized the personal uh, personal capital, 240 million ish. Uh, thought I'd put some of that to work uh, with GLC. Um, plus, you still have some, you know, 640 million of cash. How should we think about your uses of capital today? You know, thoughts on buybacks here or dividend increases, or could you perhaps uh, increase your stake in, in China AMC? I think outside of U Power and the CIDIC Group, there's still kind
1: of 10% that's owned by a non-strategic yeah you know we're fortunate to have a lot of options on that question and where our capital is going and so we've um been looking at that I'd, I'd probably ask luke to give you some more on on that uh question
2: yeah thanks jeff and gary Yeah, i think you hit the nail on the head we've uh we've been uh, been open on, um, on where strategy is focused and the things that we'd be interested in uh, from an acquisition standpoint we're pleased to bring glc to market as its uh, its our capabilities will expanding distribution reach and, and and also bolstering McKinsey's scale and and you hit the nail on the head on some of the other things we'd be interested in and uh, and would consider a uh, china mc as uh, highlighted by barry is certainly something that we're interested in and and uh, and would be something that we'd consider um also on the menu of possibilities you know anything to bolster our, our presence in key segments where we're, where we're absent, and that could in- include uh, product capabilities that, that are lacking or distribution channels where we think we should have a bit more presence. Uh, I'd, I'd guide you that we we are actively looking on a, at a few opportunities in those spaces. And uh, as far as dividend policy and share buybacks, um, r- right now we, uh, we we won't be signaling uh, any significant share buyback activity. That is something that if we if we did have excess capital, we would we would certainly consider. Uh, but at this time, we're, we're we're, we're really looking at things to help build our business because we see a very rich market opportunity across all of our segments. Um, I'd, I'd also reinforce our dividend policy um, as we approach a 65% uh, payout rate. We wouldn't be expecting to, uh, to to improve our dividends, and that's our commitment to you as we're focused on growing our earnings and focused on growing our dividends over time. Okay, perfect. Thanks.
3: Thanks for that, Luke. And then, Barry, uh, just on the GLC acquisition, you mentioned $20 million EBIT, um, I think that's just kind of GLC standalone kind of if you kind of look out 12 to 24 months post closing uh, what are the potential revenue and cost synergies with GLC or Canada Life um, and any related restructuring costs we should build in
1: yeah thank you so um, on the cost synergy side we, we we think we're done with that in terms of going forward so we're very comfortable with uh, the talent coming over and it really expands our capabilities and as I mentioned in my opening remarks we also are um, uh, developing um, a brand-new Canadian equity-focused uh, boutique, which uh, we think uh, is quite large, actually, and, and we think that can really uh, drive growth uh, for our channels as well as continue to drive growth for their channels. So we're more focused going forward on revenue synergies and growth. And what this allows now, the combined entity uh, to, first of all, be the core provider for uh, CanLife's wealth channel. So. Just as we do the same now for IG Wealth, and and really pleased with <laughs> with uh, those flows, and we we grow as they grow, um, to be able to have that now as almost like a second, uh, you know, supercharged anchor client is uh, is a real competitive advantage for us. Uh, and you may have heard from Ken Life and their signaling and how they intend to have their wealth business to be a, a real strategic focus for them now and going forward. So we think we'll nicely as they um devote more resources to grow their wealth channels will naturally as their as their core provider uh, will naturally grow with them so that's that's a another really nice big channel for us and then of course as we mentioned in the the press release uh the group retirement marketplace in canada that would be an area that mckenzie has historically had very little if no presence in um you know i've mentioned some select um, targeted institutional wins uh, that we've, uh, we've received in, um, in the U.S., and Europe, and here and there in Canada. But in the group retirement markets, uh, fine contribution, group RSPs, and other group uh, plans, um, this is really uh, a game changer for McKenzie now, because GLC is a top three provider uh, in terms of uh, assets in that area. And not only does that allow us to provide CanLife and LifeCo with continued strong performance and innovation, further innovation, for them to gain market share on their retirement platform. It allows us, Mackenzie, to now fully participate in the entire group retirement um, industry in Canada. And obviously, from an investment-only perspective, uh, direct to the consultants and to the plan sponsors, and on other third-party retirement platforms. So we're we're really um, we look at this and go, wow, like the the added distribution, uh it's actually quite unique, I think, for a clean asset management company to have these two huge wealth anchor clients now direct access, top three into the group retirement. And of course you've seen the, the really sustainable uh growth that we've we've incurred at McKenzie in the retail channel and which we're quite proud of both with our mutual funds and ETF. So um so look Going forward, and we'll continue to give you updates, obviously, on a very regular basis, look going forward this being a growth story, revenue synergies, uh, expanded distribution, and uh, we'll report back on that uh, uh, as, as that unfolds. So obviously, we have to just wait for the um, approval of, of the transaction, which, again, we expect to be done by the end of the year and at the end of 2020. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, thanks.
3: Thanks for that. And then just my last question, uh, Luke, just on the new segmented disclosure here, uh, any ballpark like in terms of split between your wealth management segment and your
2: asset management in terms of EBITDA or EBIT, like how that might look like? Yeah, absolutely, Gary. So, so right now, with the rule of thumb, simply take 2019 or a or run to date in, in 2020 and reallocate $50 million a year from, from IG to McKenzie. And, that, and that's the only change. What, what this really does do though, is it positions the drivers better, and if you look at that slide that we uh, th- that we posted, slide 38, you can also see we've made some changes, not just on the revenues, to make it easier to understand the drivers and how our business works, but also the expense side to, to really clarify what's asset driven, sales driven, what relates to advisory and business development, as opposed to something like sub-advisory fees. We've never given sub-advisory fee disclosure before, so I think this provides a lot of great transparency to how the business works and really does emphasize that the wealth business has evolved in a very a very different way and the character of its revenues has, has really changed and, um, and we'll be providing some, some really rich disclosure to help people understand. And sorry, Luke, that's $50 million on, on top line? Well, actually, the way it will play out, at $50 million is the incremental advisory fees that IG will be paying McKinsey relative to the current cost share arrangement that it has. So you can think of McKenzie having, call it an extra $100 million of revenue and an extra $50 million of expense, and there being a transfer of $50 million of pre-tax profit between the two segments. Got it. Okay.
3: That's helpful. Okay. That's it for me. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
4: Hi. Good afternoon. Um, Maybe just expanding on on Gary's question with respect to like the GLC and acquisitions, um, we've seen obviously from from the power complex a number of different transactions, whether or not it's been you know surfacing value, um, simplifying the structure. Um, but with respect to IGM, you know, there's the the China MC stake held at power, and there's also the one that's held by, you know, another shareholder that's not Citic. Um, like, does, does it make sense to you to have have the CITIC stake, uh, it's not like CITIC, the, the China MC stake that power owns housed with an IGM or are there other assets like the cigar funds that might make sense if we're thinking about assets within the power complex as opposed to third-party acquisitions?
1: Uh, Luke, I'll start. Maybe Luke can jump in or, or, and, or Jeff. Um, thanks, Jeff, for your question. The, uh, first of all, on the um, CAMC. so uh, again, you can probably tell we remain very excited by that investment by IGM McKenzie in, in that space and in collaboration with Power. And um, I just want to emphasize, as, as you well know and everyone that well knows, it's well knows, very important for us of uh, that strong minority stake because what that allows us to do is to let them be the best they can be as a preeminent Chinese company. Obviously, restrictions and regulations are opening up in China that uh, a lot of global asset management companies are going into China to build build out their own plant, so to speak. Uh, we believe there's a huge competitive advantage uh, for years to come for local. So we want to retain the minority. Um, and um, and Jeff mentioned on capital, if, if the opportunity arose either for the power stake and or uh, the additional 10% that's, that's held by an external um, investor outside of CITIC and uh, Power, then we would, we
2: would be open, open to consider that, yes. Yeah, Barry, I'd, I'd add on. I think I mentioned earlier, we're considering it and, and we'd certainly be interested in it. As, as you know, Jeff, we, we, uh, we, we love this investment. It's, a, for us, a secular investment. We love the relationship that we have with with China MCN with CITIC Securities. So, so, it, so as, as far as your broader question of, of where do all the pieces belong, for, for I, IGM, we're, we're certainly uh, open to considering it and, and certainly interested. In consolidating the investment, or inc- otherwise increasing our investment, w- with Barry's qualification, w- we really like being a-, a strong minority shareholder within this uh, w- within this company's ecosystem.
4: Okay, and then just to my other question was uh, on the IG Wealth side. Obviously, there's both the net sales, but there's also the client flows. But just wondering if there's anything you're seeing um, in terms of improvements, and, and and when when you see the timing of the improvements to getting back into the positive net sales territory um, at the IG well side.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're really close. Um, we feel really good. We've got a lot of uh, the projects that we've been working on for the last uh, two and three years uh, to become you know, a great company with uh, modern experience for all of our clients and our consultants. And we, we've we landed Salesforce for all of our consultants. We um, have done a uh, relationship with um, a new provider that, uh, in the marketplace on um, how to build uh, a financial plan really simply and interactively, actively. And so we've got some differentiated capabilities as a result of that and the head starts on it versus our competitors. And so we're really focused on on our clients and making sure we have all the tools and the, and the capabilities then to make our consultants look great when they're in front of their clients and. We've come a long way there, too, and, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a lot of work for everybody in our company, and, uh, and it's great to see these new prog- in the projects that have been going on for quite a while landing. And uh, we had a, a great board meeting uh, this week, and uh, we were uh, really excited about sharing all of the, the progress that we've made and, and, you know, where we are in our company. And so I, I expect uh, positive flows going forward. Uh, for 2020 and uh, lots of uh,
2: growth uh, onward. And, and maybe Jeff, I'd add to that, j- just for Jeff on the uh, and it speaks to the segment disclosure changes as well. So, so year-to-date June, we're uh, we're positive net flows of, of about 300 million dollars. We we reported positive net flows again in July. I, I'd anchor again. Uh, you know, we generate advisory fees now, and it's generated in all of our all of our uh, assets. And so net flows is our primary measure. I'd also highlight, as uh, as reviewed by Jeff. Our, our net flows were up by just under half a billion dollars year over year um, in Q2 uh, 2020 versus Q2 2019. So, so that's significant improvement during a pandemic. One of the also the other trends that uh, that was in the IG slides, gross sales are down a lot as are redemptions. And Jeff mentioned it, it has to do with Canadians not being as likely to change financial institutions uh, at the distributor level during during the pandemic. So so what I would highlight to to, to the market and to to you is, during January and February, we did see very significant um, improvement in new client acquisition, particularly in the high net worth segment. A lot of that new client acquisition has uh, has slowed during uh, during the pandemic. In spite of that, our net flows are improving significantly, um, and and we don't feel as things uh, things continue to improve that that momentum that we have on new client acquisition is, is is gonna slow down. So, so there is a bit of an interruption on client relationships being a bit stickier during the pandemic, but 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 we see the business being much healthier than it was a year ago and a lot of momentum there. And, and I would remind you, for us, the measure is is net flows right now that is driving the bulk of our revenue, and, and, and we are positive year-to-date. Great. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Scott Chen with Canacord Genuity. Please go ahead.
5: Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Um, Luke, just going back to the new disclosure coming in Q3, when um, you talked about retroactive restatements. Is this something that you're going to provide to us before Q3, our
2: earnings, in terms of the
5: retroactive?
2: Yeah, right. absolutely, Scott. So, so our, uh, our plan is to have, in, in either the thir- third week of September or fourth week of September, we'll be issuing a press release. You can expect to receive a package of, much like our supplemental disclosure package right now, of eight quarters of all of our metrics going out uh, retroactively. And, and that should provide everybody with about five or six weeks to to understand the uh, the changes and uh, and to anticipate our queue through results before they come out in the first uh, week of November
5: okay
6: and, and, and we will,
2: and we will be hosting a webcast to, to walk everybody through through it in, in in late september
5: okay, great and um uh, Barry, just on the GLC side uh, with the assets that are coming over, um, is there like a heavy skew towards certain assets? I just haven't looked at it too closely.
1: Um, um, yeah. So um, the reason it, it it's such a nice fit too, and and by the way, if I maybe give me an opportunity just to say a few more thoughts on on this, because I, I think it's important. Um, as you know, we 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 employ a multi boutique model at McKenzie, so that always allows for these types of um, combining of teams to, to be very efficient. Uh, so we have bolstered up. Uh, uh, several of our um, existing McKenzie boutiques with additional investment personnel from GLC. And then we're, as, as previously mentioned, we're going to create a, a standalone one. Um, the other thing that was a nice mix between the two of them is that, you know, we, we've been, McKenzie been, uh, as you know, have had significant uh, uh, assets in the uh, foreign, quote-unquote, foreign and global equities, whereas um, uh, GLC, yes, they've been uh, more focused in uh, Canadian fixed income and Canadian equities. So if you're looking at a, a broad uh, mix, uh, their assets are mostly Canadian equity fixed income, mm-hmm. um, and so, again, that's why um, we had the opportunity to uh, build out a brand-new Canadian equity-focused only um, um, team uh, based on combining two or three of their existing teams. So I look upon them as uh, uh, they, were, they, 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 looked, they were managing U.S., they were managing international, they were managing Semester Eye, they are managing some alts. But uh, a heavy,
5: um, heavy weighting for them on the Canadian side. Yes, thank you. That's helpful. Uh, and just on China AMC, I appreciate the um, the updated disclosure on it. Um, if, if I kind of look at slide 28 and look at the, um, the AUM split, um, like there's a good portion of money market, um, and then I think that's it was the same before when you uh, announced it versus uh, long-term funds. Is that a similar proportion when you look at kind of the peers on the right-hand chart, or is this something that um, that is, um, you know, just more China AMC-specific in terms of that split?
2: No, in, in fact, the chart, oh, on the, yeah. the chart on the right um, side, Scott, Scott, it's only long-term.
5: Oh, long-term. Oh, but, yeah. but just in terms of the right, just in terms of the peers that are highlighted there. Like, like, is their asset mix, like, have a heavier proportion on money market too, or is it just, like, China AMC-specific?
1: Yeah, the, look, we can jump in here as well. So the, when you look at the, um, you know, the top 10, 20 firms, uh, in China, um, there are a handful that have significant, uh, proportion, disproportionate weightings towards money market. And CMC is not, is not one of them. CMC has a fulsome allocation to money market, but, uh, you know, they're multi-channel, multi-asset class, uh, balance, fixed income equities. So they would not stand out, uh, you know, I don't know the number offhand, but they they're either average or below average in terms of the proportion of their total AUM in money market. And, and if I can elaborate on this point, because it's a very important one, and Luke, Luke can help me out here, um, you know, we've been studying this for years, and and we, we you know we saw this in North America right 25 years ago. We had heavy skewing at that point in time uh, towards money market, and then that that migration over to rotation and migration over to long uh, long term happened in in the U.S. Uh, and so we always expect that to happen in China. What, what uh, precluded it from starting was uh, a, interest rates uh, being robust, <laughs> nicely high, very high in, in relative to speaking in China for many years. That's come down. They've been Their interest rates are really normalizing. I mean, I think when we uh, put the investment in I.G. McKenzie, uh, interest rates probably were five, six, seven, eight percent. That's a healthy return, right? B, uh, and so that's normal, that's normalized down to more like two or three percent. Uh, uh, B, there's been some rule changes in regulations. Uh, there used to be some regulations that actually quite advantaged money markets, uh, more so than, um, even uh, short-term non-money market investments. And those have been, uh, changed in China over time. And it's really just the maturation of the industry, right? It's only a 20-year-old industry. Uh, You can see the numbers on the left. Uh, if you look at the $16.8 billion, trillion renminbi, that is, uh, in total, that's double the size of um, the Canadian mutual fund industry already, and it's still young. And even if you look at just the $9.3 trillion, which which we alluded to, which is long-term, uh, that in itself is, is the same or slightly bigger just by itself than the entire uh, Canadian mutual fund industry. So a lot of potential here. But we did want to, we thought it was a good time to let you know that we've been studying this. Industry experts agree with us that this rotation, is, it won't be straight line, but this rotation now is happening. So not only are the long-term funds growing just from the natural forces of a large population, high savings rate, right, and a strong conviction by the government for a three-pillar retirement system, just like we have in Canada here in the U.S., but also we believe the long-term funds will now Accelerate in growth because of the rotation from short term to long term. So it just takes it takes time and some some um, catalysts like interest rate normalization like some regulations, and just the continued continued evolution and maturation of the of the industry in China.
5: That is that's a great point. And maybe just lastly on China AMC, um, I recall they were a pretty big ETF player in China. Is that still the case?
1: They are uh, number one market share. Yeah, they have approximately uh, approximately. We can get a number for it, but thirty percent market share in ETS, and that's been growing very well, also in China. Yeah. Still, uh, it's a younger industry than Canada, uh, but um, uh, it's it's growing fast, and they're number one market share. Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, it's, it's okay. Fun. if it, if, if, it hel- if it helps you or anybody else. We can we can send the uh, the industry breakdown for money market funds as well. Yeah. China mc has got three percent share. Tian Hong. Is the leader, and and they're almost exclusively money market fund, and uh, and they've got 1.4 trillion in money market fund. So that's the only conspicuous difference you'll see in relation to page 28. But but we can yeah. we can send everybody, of course, you know the rankings uh, including money market fund if it's helpful.
5: Oh, that'd be great. Okay, thanks a lot, guys.
2: Yeah, no problem. Our
0: next question comes from Tom McKinnon with VMO Capital. Please go ahead.
7: Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, Just a question with respect to the GLC acquisition, uh, uh, and I'm trying to get to to the accretion that uh, we would expect in uh, 2021. So on slide 21, it mentions a run rate of 20 million uh, EBIT, but that's uh, sort of before purchase price amortization and financing costs. So just trying to wonder what some of those would be. And then the loss 10-beat, um from uh, the uh, Quadris deal is do we apply that to seven billion to the seven billion of assets, and uh are there any other expenses that would have been related to that uh just sort of help me walk through uh the earnings accretion associated with that
2: that was actually a really good tom you you got all the you got all the pieces yeah, so we've we got a book. Sure we got just over $20 million of incremental earnings at current asset levels um, c- coming over in relation to GLC acquisition. Uh, that, that's, that's obviously pre-tax. Uh, we will have a component of uh, purchase price amortization. You, you can think of that being, you know, ca- called in a five, $5 million range. We haven't finalized that yet, but we will, will be soon in publishing it. Some very slight financing costs in the deal. and, and, uh, and, and But the biggest one you highlighted, it's the oversight fees on, on the Quadrant group of funds. So we've highlighted the 10 basis points, and you can think of that being you know, an enforced block that, that would have been declining over time. So think of that being about $5 million pre-tax in, in 2021 and, and declining beyond that. So, so I, I think you've got the right, um, the right components, but, but I would qualify all of that. That's accretive and it's all at current asset levels. Um, we, we expect further growth, not just from, uh, from assets rising, uh, but, but also from you know, continuing to build the business. So, uh, so, but you got the right pieces, and, and I guess the, the headline is, you know, we're, we're in the $10 million vicinity pre-tax. It, it's, uh, it's very small in relation to our billion dollars of pre-tax earnings a year.
7: Okay, uh, and, the, and then uh, as a follow-up, uh, just with respect to the China AMC investment, um, what other kind of syner- synergies do you get from uh, China AMC? I mean, this, obviously, you're, you've got a slide here to show that's a good e- investment, the strategic investment that you've made uh you know you could have got some fang stocks and those are pretty good uh, they they would have shown some nice slides as well but uh what what do you get other than just a nice share of their their of their earnings do you learn anything about the, the industry from them how does that translate into uh, uh, your earnings excluding uh, um, china amc Yeah,
1: uh i'll I'll start with that one um the, uh so let's put it in two buckets uh well three i guess first is what you mentioned is that the fact that obviously we have um a significant investment in them so as they grow we grow our you know our proportion of the earnings the other way uh we've working with them from day one is um cross-selling of our own investment capabilities uh, their capabilities into Canada and our capabilities into china um, and that's going to get larger and larger it, it's been taking some time to get some traction but for instance uh their capabilities into canada we have the uh, Mackenzie china equity mutual fund it's up to about 75 million dollars that's all fresh money coming in from third party retail uh and um you know that will only accelerate as investors uh and we're doing a lot of education around this uh BMO does too by the way as we know <laughs> but they uh do a lot of education around the fact that this is uh China equities is, is too big to ignore. You have to now allocated into your portfolio as a, a separate allocation, even from a pure risk diversification perspective. So we're starting to see some traction. close every day flows come in, so we'll look for that to grow. We have opportunities, obviously, at the appropriate time to do the same thing on their fixed income capabilities. So that will grow nicely over time. Um, we um, are, uh, as McKenzie, obviously, as we mentioned, part of our institutional. Um, Sales strategy uh, in Canada and outside of Canada is to selectively look for opportunities where institutional plan sponsors will hire us for mandates in China we are selling it at China McKenzie. Um and um, TMC is also we mentioned number one market share in um, in ETS they are number one or two in in the institutional marketplace and so um, they're great partners in looking uh, looking for referrals uh, for institutional uh, Chinese investors in China looking for global um, equity or fixed income allocations. And so um, the pipeline is growing. They're having good discussions there. So that's an opportunity. And then CAV&C also has, um, they're, they're, cent- they're obviously centered in Beijing and across China, mainland China, but they also have a, a big business centered in Hong Kong with their own mutual fund and ETF platform in Hong Kong, selling into Hong Kong and then through the mutual fund recognition program those funds being sold into uh, northward into mainland China. We last year or so uh, started uh, to sub-advise one uh, fund for them in that area. So you're going to start to see uh, those connections being made early days, but we're really excited by those additional two-way upselling opportunities. And then finally, the third bucket is, yeah, just all transfer. Uh, we've been at that, that for four years now with them uh, for um, IGM McKenzie and longer for power. and uh you know uh, obviously pre-pandemic they they would come over all the time to canada and we would uh, educate them but we want to make them better and we, when we see leading trends on for instance, esg so now they're the first chinese asset management company to sign the united nations principles responsible investing and surprisingly esg is growing very strong now in china so they're we're helping them in that area alts will come not modest right now in china that'll come so we're helping a liquid alternative what to do in that space um So a lot of knowledge that way. And I think the other way, they're they're quite ahead on AI, as all of China is. And so how do you implement AI into investment processes as well as distribution data? Uh, And their technology, uh, I think we mentioned in prior calls, they are not um, beholden to legacy investment systems. And we're working very hard, as you know, at IGM with our transformational projects to leapfrog ourselves into a, a more modern technology platform. But they're already there. So it's, you know, the first bucket's the strongest for for sure, Tom, as you know, because that industry, China's going to represent half of all the global flows for the next couple of decades. But we're really pleased early days about the cross-selling of investment capabilities as well as the knowledge exchange.
7: Thanks very much for the color.
1: You're welcome.
0: Our next question comes from Graham Writing with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Um,
6: good afternoon, just with, uh, GLC, uh, you know, the revenue synergy side that you're talking about, can you give us some context on, you know, what are the distribution oper- opportunities that you see now that you own GLC as a or assuming the deal closes as opposed to before when, you know, they were still a sister entity under the, under the power Corp umbrella. I assume there would have been some opportunities there
1: for, uh, for distribution yeah, but- opportunities. That, that, it's very good. We actually think it's very timely too. But it's a very good point because, as you know, we're all we're all sister companies under Power, and you know, we've been working, uh, McKinsey with GLC and uh, and Candlelight overall for years. They're, they were prior to the transaction a significant client for McKinsey. Uh, we know them very well. So, by the way, another reason why we think this uh, transaction will go very smoothly is because we just culturally know each other already, and we're all part of the, the big family. But the timing is is. From a IGM McKenzie perspective, it's just absolutely perfect, right? Because, uh, and again, I don't want to speak on behalf of Candlelight, but you, you know that they've been messaging how, uh, they are now going to, uh, put more resources towards their wealth, their wealth business. And so, um, and we think we, McKenzie and now, um, uh, at it with the uh, GLC professionals, we think we're in a very good position to, uh, help them, um, you know, really get those modern, uh, institutional quality portfolios in the hands of their wealth clients as we've been partnering with IG Wealth for several years now in the areas of risk budgeting, uh, China, EMD, active passes, smart beta, liquid alts, all those things that we do, uh, now that will be at their disposal to get through their wealth channels, which again, they expect to put more resources to. They're already starting that, that process. And then... Um, You know, we're very excited about the group of time, as I mentioned, and uh, I just do want to emphasize the fact that we want to continue to be a core uh, uh, provider for them on uh, LifeCo and CanLife's retirement platform, but um, that now allows us, we believe, uh, to have the pedigree to go talk to the institutional consultants and platforms and plan sponsors in the group retirement space outside of of the CanLife ecosystem also to gain traction. So you know we've we've got uh, we've been studying this and we've been looking at this for almost a year now and and putting together uh, our expectations you know multi-channel right and uh, we've got targets that we'd like to hit and um, so we'll we'll obviously report back to on our progress but yeah it's it's, uh, it's it's a good time I think we've, we've been asked that question too it's uh, you know timing's never perfect and and you know uh, why now but we think it's actually that the timing is couldn't be better right now for us to. To, to go ahead with the merging of these of these two um, two teams. So.
6: Uh, understood. And then Jeff, question for you: Just the new campaign that you mentioned at Investors Group, <clears throat> how is that different or unique from what your consultants are doing previously in terms of business development? Is this campaign uh, you know more sensitive and focused towards uh,
1: you know the COVID nineteen uncertainty? No, it's re- it's really focused on um, just massive and high now with clients and focusing on that specific uh, specific uh, segment and we're getting more traction now uh, as we've been moving up uh, market and with these new tools um, it's a much easier experience for them to um, give to their clients as well because they can engage in this as well uh, using the software and so we really think it's a game changer and, and this was uh, a, f- a firm that had been in this space for the last 30 years, and they're really the uh, the founders of uh, software for this space. And so we're really excited to have it. And it's in Winnipeg, and it's in, in our home town, and we know all the people there. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a great software. So it's it's going to be a game changer for for sure. And then um, you know we'll keep keep looking for other capabilities as we go forward.
2: Graham, your question was it on Conquest Software or was it on the answering the call campaign for small businesses? Yeah, correct. You oh, on the, the, for the
1: Oh, that that's that's going really well. Um, yeah, I just my question was just how is
6: that different than you know the the existing sort of
1: business development approach at IG? Well, we this was uh, as a result of the uh, what's been going on in our our lives oh. uh, for all of us. And we wanted to um, do something to help the society, and so we uh, asked our consultants if they wanted to, to support this, and they did. And so we're trying to help um, Canadians across the country, uh, and especially in small business, and give them um, free uh, consulting uh, to, to manage their businesses while they're going through a pandemic. And we're coaching them on that as they uh, do this on an ongoing basis, and so we're just trying to help, uh,
2: you know, as
1: a, ch- a charity donation almost to help uh, society.
2: And Graham, you can imagine with our financial planners, as well as the support from our advanced financial planning team and specialists, we're bit, we, we believe we're better situated than anyone in the country to help small businesses navigate through the pandemic. And so, as Jeff said, this is something that we want to do to make sure we're helping society, and and it ranges from you know. Helping with with basic financial plans to making sure people can can appreciate all the government programs that are available to them and and how they best should structure their affairs as they navigate you know a lot of the stress that that's happening to so many small businesses during this uh, during these times. So, so we're really proud of what the team put together and, and we're pleased to have this uh, rolled out in early May. Uh, but in advance of that, it's what our people are doing naturally in their communities to make sure that they they were answering the call. Great.
6: That's it for me. Thank you.
0: The question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Jeff Carney for any closing remarks.
1: Well, uh, thanks everybody for your time today. I really appreciate um, the questions. Obviously, a great conversation uh, for the last uh, 60 to 90 minutes we've been on the call. And um, we uh, wish you all a best uh, summer, and we'll see you in the fall. Thank you.